0: This one is called Wrath. This is going to be uh, just as intense, I would say, as the last ones. Um, we could talk about some touchy subjects here. Um, specifically, we're going to talk about um, the. Let me say this: that the, the and, and this is just my language in the way I'm trying to describe it. It's not it's not how God sees it or God does it uh, necessarily. But we're going to see a switching off of grace. So grace comes to an end, and we're going to because when judgment comes, grace has to stop. And there's like a, there's a very clever, perfect process that God goes through. One of them is that he prevents any more uh, people coming to him. So we'll see about the smoke in heaven, and that smoke stops any more approaches to him. And we see a sense of grace uh, being stopped. And now what will come in place is the pouring out of the bowls, which is judgment. And these are the final ones. So we had the um, we had, uh, the seals, seven seals, we had the seven trumpets. These are the seven bowls. Seven, seven, seven is where they all align. Okay. So the seventh bowl, it aligns with the seventh uh, trumpet and the seventh seal. This is where we get to the last of the judgment. And then we'll have this kind of interlude and then we'll have Jesus returning. Uh, and then, uh, well, as we, the weeks running up to boxing day, uh, we'll have just this amazing story joined up where we, baby Jesus, see baby Jesus, and then see what was his purpose. Why did he come? Revelation will tell us uh, why, how that works. So today is called uh, wrath uh, for this point. Yeah, so after the trumpet judgments focus of Revelation changes to uh, a description of certain people and events, we looked at the woman clothed in with the sun, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the mark of the beast, Satan has resurrected the Antichrist and is indwelling his body with Satan's power. The Antichrist is ruling the world, being celebrated as the Messiah and Savior. So they're all loving him. They're loving what he's doing. All these kind of miracles that he claims to be able to do, uh, these tricks, uh, probably more so, deception he's doing. Satan has raised up a false prophet to lead the world in a new religion that worships the Antichrist. Supernatural image is installed in the Jewish temple and in, in probably in all places to remind people of the new god small g of this world the world is called to worship this new god and all who take a mark indicating their willingness to worship him if a person refuses they cannot buy a sell function in the economy as it were uh, and once uh, they're found out to be christian they are beheaded if found the only ones who resist are those that believe in jesus those that uh, are the jewish people and Uh, Everyone else who then, as we saw early in Revelation from uh, the Jewish tribes and then everyone else joins together. The multitude of God's people comes together. The seal judgments and the the trumpet judgments have come and gone. And that was during the first three and a half years. Uh, Now we're in the final part. This is the final part of tribulation, as it were, the final part of the end times. And here John will, will see one final vision before he's shown the rest of the tribulation judgments represented by bowls and here we are now towards this end of this seven year period uh, of tribulation the seven angels will carry out the last judgments of god uh, that happen during this time the scene is one of celebration as redeemed believers sing a song of worship to god The sea of glass as we'll see is uh, just a little preview Um, here is Probably the same one in Revelation form. Well, I'll tell you what uh, how that fits together. Revelation presents God's final judgments on sin in three groups of seven. The first set of judgments represented by the opening of the seals of the scroll. Second was the trumpets, and the last pattern will involve the bowls uh, symbolically filled with God's wrath, uh, and we'll see this poured as poured out on the people. It's, and it's 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 a literal and a figurative. Uh, but either way people will suffer uh, because it is judgment come grace will be lifted will be withheld from people and we will see the full effect of sin and brokenness cover the earth uh, and what that uh, and and help us to appreciate just how much grace brings a sense of balance without sin completely taking us over as it were for those that believe we have this opportunity to appreciate grace and now to come to Jesus. Let's look at our first few verses uh, here today. Uh, Revelation 15, verses 1 to 4. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. Towards the end of this, as I said, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the num- uh, number of its name. They held harps. Given them by God, and sang the song of God's servant Moses, and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear you, uh, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's get into this part. Let's take some water first. Okay, so when John sees this vision, what he sees is what we call what he calls a great and marvelous sight or sign. Seven angels with seven plagues. Uh, very unusual. Uh, the, the first thing I would say is I wouldn't describe a great and marvelous sign as plague angels with plagues. Uh, it is the last thing uh, that I would consider to be a great and marvelous sight. However, uh, we're not talking about in worldly terms because as Christians. Uh, And as John is seeing here, he is seeing a bigger picture, the wider picture towards the end. It's great and marvellous because what's coming is the final judgment. It's going to come to an end and he's going to what's going to become is God's uh, redemption of his people, of the earth. Peace, no more pain, as we'll see finally towards the end. I'm sure that these are great and marvellous because we see God continue to carry out his wrath, that, that it is progressing, it goes, keeps going on and that is why it's great and marvellous because the, the plan that God, God has continues. It's great and marvellous because it keeps coming, keeps coming in a very short amount of time as well in the space of what we might see as seven years overall. It's also because what will come after, restoration of all things. The judgments are the last as required, as we saw under the old covenant. And this is as Daniel was told by Gabriel in uh, Daniel 9, 24, 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish uh, transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most high place. But we have a little way to go before we get there. God narrows his focus on unbelievers, while at the same time bringing judgment against the enemy and the unbelieving world, God will deliver the judgment He has long delayed. Isaiah forty-eight. Just to show you uh, where this comes from, Revelation uses prophecy from what we've already seen in the Bible, and Revelation shows from previous books that we how we see it uh, in, Revela- in Revelation. We would see it in other chapters as well. Isaiah 48, 9 to 11, for my own namesake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. Uh, And this you'll see towards the end of uh, Revelation 16. Uh, This this fits very well into this prophecy. Uh, Though not a silver, I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. When John talks about, when first, in these first few verses of Revelation, uh, the sea of glass mentioned in our verses, he's, what we think he's talking about is the one referred to in Revelation 4, when he spoke about this sea of glass. What's different now, though, is that there's fire mixed in with this sea of glass. So it's slightly different from what we saw b- before. And now we see fire. It's an unusual combination. Uh, we looked at the possibility uh, that it could mean... Um, that there was no more need to be baptized. So for those in heaven, the reason why the water is sealed in glass is because they're in heaven. They're now saved, no more need to be baptized. Possibility, they're just things to think about. We don't know that for sure, right? But we know that water is baptism, and so the glass over it would suggest some form of holiness as well, that we're baptized in Jesus. It is holy, uh, and, and God gives us that when we baptize, we are made righteous in him here we might understand the fire to be god's judgment coming from a holy god whose holiness is represented by the sea of glass so now this is why we might see fire mixed in with the sea as well because it's, it's a sense of there's holiness but within that is a fiery judgment and and fire is not is is, is not uh, underused here it is it is indeed fire that will be experienced by those in this time Those who are victorious over the beast in his image and the number of his name are those who are martyred during the tribulation end times. Death in a Christian perspective is a victory because it removes people from the influence of the beast. It brings them to rest. They pass from the world of the enemy, of the devil, into the new world, whatever you want to call it, into heaven with the father. They are now no longer submitted or they're now uh, no longer uh, exposed to the work of the enemy. Now they are his. Now they are given to him uh, as they are martyred. They're no longer within within reach of the enemy uh, who is now being cast down. The overcoming of the beast is that they never gave in. They never stopped believing that Jesus, that God, was going to come and do the work of completion in judgment and then redemption and restoration. Their physical presence on earth never took priority over their eternal life in the Lord. Matthew 16, verse 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The sense seeing path, the physical, looking towards a life spent with God in eternity is depicted further by the singing of songs as we see in our verses and this is taken from a number of us i think it might be in your at least in the niv bible the footnote of the verses that are in now i'm not entirely sure but anyway these are, are them psalm 111, 23 go out the works of the lord they are pondered by all who delight in him glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever uh, deuteronomy 32 verse 4 he is the rock his works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Jeremiah 10, verse 7. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your Jew among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms. There is no one like you. Psalm 86, verse 9. All the nations you've made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. And then finally, Psalm 98, verse 2. The Lord has made his salvation known. And everybody's righteousness to the nations. What does this song do? It gives praise to God's works. It gives praise to God's ways. It gives praise to God's worthiness. And it is the worship of God himself. It is to worship him. It is all for him. It is unsurprisingly all about God. They understood to be all this to be all about God, not the cost to them for believing and following, but all about the praise due to him. What became insignificant was what would happen to them. What became significant is the glory that they would give to God for doing what he has done by giving them eternal life in Jesus Christ. How today might we learn from this uh, way many churches worship God today, including us? We all need to be really careful to remain true to the principle that worship is all about and only for, to God. I sometimes fear that when we see secondary music, and this isn't a new thing, by the way, this has happened for centuries. Uh, secular music has always been creeping into many of our worship songs be it old or new actually there are many old songs that don't quite align there are many new songs probably more so that don't quite align scripturally uh, and we're finding this sort of sense of, uh, of of secular love creeping into worship songs into new worship songs need to be careful that what it isn't about is about how i feel actually the only thing that matters about how i feel is how i feel about him that's it do I believe in him? Do I trust him? Do I love him? Yeah. Do I do it perfectly? Absolutely. But that's because we're not perfect, right? And Jesus is perfect and he's enough. And so I worship him going, thank you, Jesus, because I'm useless at this stuff. Thank you, Lord, because I'm useless at this. Holy Spirit, come. Make me focus on the one who I'm worshipping. Secular music has this obsession. By the way... I'm not saying don't listen to secular music. Let me just say that right now, because this is going to get really weird. It might sound a bit ultra religious. I'm not going to say that there are so many things we shouldn't do. Absolutely. I'm not saying don't listen to secular music. I'm saying discern, discern what you hear, discern what you watch. That's all I am saying here. But let me say this. It does have an obsession with how we feel. It is very much about how I feel and what feelings have become. Is a fake truth what feelings have become is what we think truth is so now we're in this world of how i feel today is what truth is did the series on a, a a while ago now on saving truth it's really important that when we hear these things we don't get mixed up with hearing secular music and somehow that's a form of worship it isn't it's a It's normally obsessed with with us. Of course, expression through music will always be a personal reflection of how we feel about something or someone. But proper worship to God requires us to take that personal reflection, self-centeredness, and lay it at the feet of Jesus. For it will be incomparable to what he has done for us saved us from hell and given us a new life in him. When people like me who preach uh, say it's not about you, leaders of the church say it's not about you and it's all about God. Some people kind of disagree with that absolute statement. Some people say, but Jesus did die for us. True. And in some ways, we're mentioned a lot in the Bible, right? Because actually, Jesus talks about us to some degree or another. And he did save us. But do we really understand what that salvation will do? Do you really know what that salvation is for? Do you know what we'll be doing when we join him in heaven, in the kingdom? We're not going to be singing or praising about how great we are for being there we're just not we're not going to be singing about how wonderful place that we're in at the moment because hey look at us we made the right choice guys it will be the unequivocal uncompromising worship of the one true god alone when we join him there is no more sin we don't have these problems these issues where we struggle with sin every day when we join him we are made perfect in him and so we're brought to this point where actually we were we were doing what we're made for to glorify jesus to glorify god for now as we worship as we live our lives today as christians there's a time of kind of interchange We wrestle with our sinfulness and try to make sense of continuing to prioritize God in how we grow in him and in this life. But let's not be under any illusion. That just as Revelation shows us the redemption of our souls will ultimately be for the purpose of glorifying and worshiping the one true God of the Bible. That is why we sit here today and say we believe in Jesus. Not because we're great, because he's great. And when that day comes, when we look at uh, the relationship before the fall, that was, they, they just, they only knew God. They just worshipped him. They worshipped him. That's so what we're going back to? We're going back to this, this state that we were made for to glorify our king. Sounds like an interview, doesn't it? Please hold. Let's move on. Verses uh, uh, 5 to 8 of our chapter 15. After this, I looked and saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with seven plagues. They were dressed in clean and shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chest. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Let's first look at this temple. What is the temple about? The temple of the tabernacle here refers to this heavenly reality of the tabernacle uh, not an earthly copy Uh, we see this in hebrews 9 verse 23 to 24 it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified by these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these copies on earth it's copies not perfect they're copies for christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence this is the heavenly reality of the temple their clothing as it says in our verses is a reminder that God's judgment is always righteous it's always right and it's always pure and it's always spot on every single time What we're about to see in the bowls is what people will have stored up for themselves. That this wrath is not arbitrary. It is what people continue to do as they refuse to submit to the living God who continues to offer the path to redemption every single day. There is no moment in this day to day in this age where someone cannot come to Jesus. Romans two, verse five to six, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. It is to what we have done, it is to the choice that we made I'm talking about we as a, as, a, as a world, as a society. It is because the path we chose, the life we have chosen, that will determine the consequences of our very intentional actions. There is no room here to blame God. Every opportunity until grace is removed is, is, is up for grabs every single day. As I preach, as many others preach, as, as you go out in your daily life, every single time there is an opportunity to hear the gospel, to come to Jesus. So when the cloud of glory fills the temple in heaven, it says no one can enter. It was the same when Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle, when the smoke of the cloud of God's glory, sometimes called the um I haven't even, I have to practice these words, uh, shekinah, I think it's shekinah, Um filled the tent, so it's just smoke that fills the tent, basically. Um, but this declares that judgment is, was now irreversible. So this is the moment, judgment has to come, no more approaches to God can be made. No more petitions, no more requests, this is it. No one can enter into the presence of God. It is supposed that during this time, no further intercessions could be made. So we come to the end of the time of grace being offered. Revelation uh, 16, as we move on, one, two, uh, sorry, we'll go verse by verse in this one, because this is where the, the, the judgments appear, that each bowl, we're gonna go for each one. Verse two, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image the first angel unleashes unleashes this judgment that will affect man's physical comfort and i, I believe for reading uh, up on this is that this ugly uh, there's another word for it in different translations but it means to depict something wicked it's something most horrible that these boils is the is the worst thing that any human being could ever suffer These are the consequences of man's wickedness. Again, we might then keep in mind how Jesus' body was scourged, how it was treated, how it was beaten, in the beating and punishment he endured at the hands of men. Then we get the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. Besides an uncountable number of dead and rotten fish, the blood itself would almost rot. This is this sense of rotting on the sea. It's, these pictures are horrible. But don't be afraid of Revelation, okay? Don't be afraid of any book of the Bible, because what's get, being done, even in Revelation, in, like in any other book, is God is carrying out his plan, okay? What we know, if you're reading the Bible, is at the end keep reminding you in these really hard verses to read is that Jesus wins. All pain will stop. I'm going to keep reminding you of that, church. Don't be afraid of reading Revelation. The sea doesn't necessarily become blood. But as of a a corpse blood, it it matches the appearance and, and the sickening character of the blood in a dead body. What this is building to, as we describe these quite horrific scenes, is a preview of hell on earth. So these are going to be terrible. These are going to be horrible scenes. It's not even hell itself. It is a preview of hell. Here, it will cause an unimaginable, excuse me. It will cause an unimaginable environmental disaster. And you won't even be able to sell ships in it. You won't be able to do anything in the sea. You won't be able to use the sea for anything whatsoever. We see in Revelation 8, uh, 8 to 9, I haven't got the verses, but it describes this, uh, remember the third of everything. And if you remember that, we, we saw the third of everything. Uh, one of them was the sea being contaminated. Now in the bowls, we see that the whole sea is contaminated. So there's a progression. Uh, as as the slow decay of the earth uh, we saw in revelation 8 is now being completed in revelation 16 then it says the third angel third angel poured out his bow on the rivers and springs of the wa- of water and they become blood then i heard the angel in charge of the water say you are just in these judgments o holy one you who are and who were For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The angel explains the blood of these judgments is a repayment for the world pouring out the blood of the saints. And the angel declares that the world deserves to be without water. There be no sea to use. There would be no water to drink. The complete contamination again is in contrast to what we see in Revelation eight, verse ten to eleven, pollution of the fresh waters. A third of them now a complete contamination. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl uh, on the uh, on the poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The sun suddenly increases in intensity to the point that it burns mankind. It burns people. There are physical pain in sores. There's no water. There's no fresh water. And now they're being scorched as we look at this, you should see that there is a glimpse of hell happening on earth. And this can only happen because grace has been removed from the earth. Judgment comes because grace is no longer present. The balance is now all in brokenness, in sin. That's it. It's taking over the entire world. And when you read this, you can't help but see that it has some sort of relation To the breakdown of the ecosystem that we're seeing in smaller ways today through our human activity, through what we do to the planet. Even what is being predicted by scientists, if we go above 1.5 and beyond, it will be too hot to go out. But I want to be clear that when it happens in Revelation, it won't be a coincidence. This period that we're having where we're trying to fix the planet, it's something else. This might be a prelude to what's going to happen here, but it's not now. It's not going to be a coincidence that the Bible speaks about this and it just so happens we're having problems with the ecosystem. It's not going to be a coincidence. And what I mean by that is when the earth starts to exhibit these things in Revelation, it won't be something that just kind of relates to what we see here. The one fundamental thing that will stand out just before these times is very much a complete hatred and hunting down of Christians, in particular who will not worship the false God and who instead stick with and trust in the true God. When verse nine speaks of the control that God has over these plagues, it is to show God's judgment over mankind. That the earth it's not just an event where the earth is just naturally reacting to something and changing its ecosystem. It says God can control this. God is in control of these plagues, that He is intentionally doing it, so that we don't mistake it as if a coincidence or something just happening. Then it goes on, the fifth angel. Take some water. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony, verse 11, and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Here, what we're going to see, just from reading it is both a physical and spiritual darkness we're already getting the spiritual darkness in that god has removed his grace so the spiritual darkness is coming physical darkness will now come because now he's gonna these judgments will affect the earth to that degree we see this in exodus 10 um verses 21 to 22 then the lord said to moses stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over egypt darkness that can be felt so Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. The darkness is a foreshadowing of hell itself in many ways. And Jesus describes it here, back in Matthew 25, verse 30, and throw that worth, worthless servant into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about a hell, darkness. We learned last week that hell is a place where forever and ever God will pour out his wrath and people will suffer the consequences of sin itself. Let me say this. And I don't know if you spotted it. Verses 9 and 11. They both end in this, but they refuse to repent and glorify him, but they refuse to repent of what they had done. Grace is a time as we experience it today when mankind will have ample opportunity afforded by God to come and repent and believe in Jesus. Grace is not a time where nothing is happening. So even though right now we're kind of okay, like there's not, you know, the earth is not falling apart in revelation terms, but it's not as if nothing's happening. Let would be clear: Grace is active. It works and it's happening right now as we sit here, as we are here today. It's not a period. Grace is not a period between the Old and New Testament that we saw where there's 400 years of silence between the two books. God is not silent right now. But the 400 years of silence began with the warning that closed the Old Testament. And it said, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Grace is an active presence of God's withheld judgment on earth. I showed you that in scripture earlier. I'm backing this up. Scripture says it's withholding God's judgment. Let me say this. Grace is not out of the control of God. It is there for a purpose. For this time, the judgment will not fall on us at this moment. But grace has to be removed for judgment to come. So when we see this particular phrase that they did not repent and glorify God, I believe that God has removed the mechanism at that particular time by which we can, people can be saved. It is not us that saves ourselves after all, but I think, and this is how I see uh, how it works when you come to faith. You might disagree with me and that's entirely fine. Many people have different uh, views on how it works, but none of us know for sure. But I do believe that when we make that choice to follow God, God in his grace initiates and owns and governs the process by which we are changed and saved and have the Holy Spirit live within us. But our decision doesn't save us. There's a very clever balance, I think, that God puts there in that we make the choice but the choice itself doesn't bring salvation but he does deliver what he promised which is when you choose to believe he will save If you trust and believe in jesus christ with your heart and with your mouth you will be saved so the bowls as we look at them are each a build up to a preview of hell that will be experienced on earth on earth and if that is the case then once in hell There is a total absence of grace. So, of course, we also get this preview of a time when grace will be withdrawn and man will be left to experience what it's truly like to live in the full consequence of sin. So I can only see this, that if this is a preview, I can only think hell is incredibly 100 million times worse than what they will experience on earth. verses 12 to 16 the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates and its waters dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east then i saw there impure spirits that looked like frogs they came out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet they are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of god almighty look i come like a a thief. A blessed is the one who stays awake and remains close so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Uh, The Euphrates River was considered to be the secure barrier against invasion from the empires of the east. And in that day, it was around about 1800 miles long. And something around, uh, I think it says, what is it? Probably up to a thousand meters wide. It's a big, big place. Nice big barrier to stop invasion. But here it says it will be without water. It would allow the armies from the east to invade. There'll be no more barrier to stop them from coming. What they will come to do is battle against God. And this might show itself in some form of human battle to some degree or another, but the purpose will be to try and beat the God of the Bible. Their intention, their drive will be about diminishing, removing this, our our God, in effect, the God of the Bible. The frogs out of their mouths, as we read, are considered by Jewish people as, as unclean. On the other hand, Egyptians, revered frog goddesses. To the Egyptians, the frog was an ancient symbol of fertility. Again, the Bible and, and history itself backs up what we're seeing in Revelation. The demonic spirits, it says, go into overdrive. They go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them to battle. But God is already victor. As the verse says, the battle on the great day of the Lord Almighty. That is not a mistake. It is on the, the day of the Lord Almighty. It is His day and He will win. Even in the coming battle, the day is the Lord's. The Lord warned the church to be ready for this time. It would come unexpectedly, it says, like a thief, uh, and only. The believing who watch and keep on guard would be received into heaven. Jesus told the unbelieving church, the unbelieving in the church, to be ready. Since they wouldn't know the hour is coming, no one will have a chance to get right with God at the last minute. Because guess what? We're not going to know what that last minute is. We won't potentially see it coming. The world, the naked and shamed, as we saw in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were ashamed of their nakedness after the fall, they will not recognise that Jesus' second coming is imminent. So the call today is believe today, whilst today is today. When we look at this place of Armageddon, uh, it's called Megiddo uh, is the is the name. You, might have read about this. It's a region uh, associated with a few battles in the Bible as well, actually. Um, we've got Gideon over the midnights the uh, Pharaoh over uh, Josiah, um, and its place of the end times morning as shown in Zechariah. So it is a real place where these things will happen. Many good commentators make a really good point that if we get lost in the speculation of the place, however, we will be at risk of being distracted from the word and instead lose ourselves in these assumptions and conjecture. And that is what we don't want to do. We need to be careful that we don't take this and start debating about the the ultra specifics of what is shown here. Otherwise, we will start to think of ourselves as figuring out stuff and aren't we really clever. That will not help us on the day that the Lord comes. We need to be on our guard. Accept the word. It is our shield. Instead, we should be aware of this time so we can be sure that right now, in this time of grace, there is an off-ramp. You can get off the destination to hell. That even believers who experience this will be taken to the Lord and be with him. The seventh seal, seventeen to twenty. Sorry, seventh angel rather than seventh seal. Sorry, it's so the last one. Seventh seal poured. Uh, seventh angel poured out his bow. And into the end, out of the temple, came a loud voice from the throne, saying, "It is done." Where have you heard that before? Jesus. Okay, good. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and severe earthquake. Remember, we saw all that in the other two seven, seven trumpet seventh seal same things happening again it's all aligned that's how we know that's how we we would assume let's not say no we would assume that this all the sevens are happening at the same time because they all end in the same way Peals of thunder and a severe earthquake no earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth so tremendous was the quake the great city split into three parts and the city's the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon uh, the Great and gave her the cup filled with wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a uh, hundred pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on the account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Just like uh, Jesus on the cross. Just before he drew his last breath and said, it is done, it is finished. So in the same way, the angel will announce that the final bowl has been poured out and it has been done. The earth will shake violently, house stones will fall, as it says went up to a hundred pounds. And men will respond, not in awe of the almighty God, but in utter, unrepentant depravity. They will blaspheme God because of the plague of hail. This judgment results in an earthquake that produces a unique destruction unlike any other we have seen or will experience. Mountains are gone, islands are gone, and even the continents are ripped apart. The wrath of God and his purpose in the tribulation would come to an end with this final bowl. This is the alignment of the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and finally the seventh bowl. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna sum up this message with scripture, and then we're gonna worship. And I hope it really brings a reality check to us. As Christians, for those that don't believe that there is still time, but there is consequence to a choice that people will make. It's John 3, 27 to 36. And it says, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. What is given from heaven is the chance to come to know Jesus. Then there'll be a time when that won't happen. So God will stop that. That's sad, but it, judgment has to come. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice that that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. It couldn't be clearer, church. We need not dodge the issue Of repentance the issue that there is a heaven and a hell because if we start to try and make fuzzy or gray out hell as if it's not really a place why would anyone believe really i mean if we start diminishing jesus in that he saved us from this horrible place why would you believe in him Why would you trust this this man who came and actually not really sent me to eternal life, but he's just saved me from this place? Hell exists as much as heaven exists. There needs to be a reality about that in our gospel, in the way that we share it. Yes, there is ways to do that, and there is a path to walk down to do that too. People need to be gently introduced to the gospel. But let's not diminish the power of the gospel in the sharing of it. We want people to be saved, not just because there is hell, because right now they can come to Jesus. And right now, new life is on offer. Right now, today. Let's pray and let's worship him. Lord, we just want to thank you. Uh, that you that you are sovereign that everything you do is for your glory for your plan for your will for your way that lord it is not about how you can make us feel better but actually how we should feel peace and comfort in that those who believe and now in jesus There is no more to want. There is no more that this world can offer that will make Jesus any better. Jesus is the best option. Jesus is the only way out of this mess. And so, Lord, we praise you and we we, we make our physical life secondary to that of being in eternity with you. Lord, teach us now every day to put our physical selves, as it were, second, not to not care for our physical health, by the way, but in a spiritual sense, most certainly, Lord, help us to know that whatever happens to us after this place, we're going to your place. That whatever comes at us and tries to dissuade us that jesus isn't lord it still remains true that jesus is lord and so lord we will we will trust in you not in ourselves so that we may have eternal life in jesus christ lord help us to prioritize prayer reading of your word engaging with the holy spirit God who lives within us. How ridiculous is that? Holy God who lives within us as Christians who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. We don't deserve that. That's amazing. Every day we have the Holy Spirit who is God living within us. It doesn't make us gods. It means we can talk to God. It means we can change our lives so that it honors God. We can listen to the Holy Spirit. And we can learn from God, from Jesus Christ, of what he has done for us. So we may honour you more in this life. Lord, help us to trust and give all authority to you in our lives. We ask of all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.